couple of minutes, I'm going to read from, uh, from John chapter 15, so you can uh, uh, grab a Bible and start finding that. Um, my wife and I, Melissa and I, had a chance this week to go to Williamsburg uh, for Thanksgiving. Just two of us drove up there, and uh, just walking around in Williamsburg, her, her family 1600s and she's traced back and found you know where they lived and all this stuff and it's right there in Jamestown and all that so I, you know I felt like I, we were just walking around in her neighborhood and uh, everywhere we went there was something that had to do with her family uh, but then uh, one night uh, by her by her choice or her desire uh, we wound up at a uh, an organ concert y'all, y'all know that there's nothing nothing stirs me like a good pipe organ <laughs> And uh, so <laughs> we go, we go to this pipe organ concert in, in the church there, Bruton Parish Church in Williamsburg. And, and uh, as it's getting, it's, you know, it's about to start and, and I, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, how long is this going to last? <laughs> and, uh, but, but I, I, I prayed and I said, uh, I said, Lord, I really believe that you're here and uh, that you could you could do something with this <laughs> you could actually make this uh, bearable <laughs> and I said you know Lord I, I want to experience you here in this and, and here's what I found out uh, God likes organ music he does uh, the Lord likes organ music. He actually loves organ music. He loves when people gather uh, and, and worship him. And, and that's, that's what we did. Uh, we, we got to sing along a couple of songs. Uh, but then we got to also just listen to an incredibly gifted person play this unbelievable instrument uh, to the glory of God. And, and whether it's that or someone clapping two sticks together and singing to God, he loves it. Uh, he loves our worship. He loves the praises of his people. And, and whether it's a complicated uh, instrument like a pipe organ or, or a, a guitar, a drum, or like I said, somebody clapping two sticks together, when our focus is, is on the Lord, Scripture says he inhabits the praises of his people. And, and, and here's the thing about that. Uh, he loves to be where we are. He does. He, he loves to be where we are. This is the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent really is all about getting ready for the coming of the King. Preparing ourselves for the arrival of Jesus which they did uh, 2,000 years ago, but we are still doing it today. We are still preparing for the arrival of the king because we know that he's coming back. Uh, and the reason that he's coming back is the same reason that he came the first time. He loves to be with us. He wants to be where we are. Uh, he wants so badly to be where we are that in his first coming, the Gospel of John says 
the word became flesh and came and lived with us. The word, the word of God, the logos of God became a human being and came and lived on the earth among us. That's, he so much wants to be with us that he was willing to leave heaven, become a man, come live on earth, knowing that that life on earth would lead to his death and that it would be a painful, cruel death. He would endure it anyway. Why? Again, because he wants to be with us, not just temporarily when he came to live and walk on the earth, but permanently when he calls us to be with him uh, in heaven. So he wants to be with us, and we're going to look at that a little bit uh, and beyond that. So John 15, beginning at verse 1. Excuse me, do we have that or am I going to read it? We have it. Here we go. And we're just going to go verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. We need to hear from you. We want to hear from you. And we believe, God, that you have things that you want to say to us and even things that you want to do in us today. And so we open ourselves to you, and we say, come, in Jesus' name, amen. So I believe that that Jesus wants us to be where he is. 
he wants us to be where he is, so much so that he was willing uh, to go to the greatest lengths to make it possible. And that uh, the length that ha- he had to go to to make it possible for us to be with him was for him to die in our place to make payment for our sins on the cross and provide the opportunity for us to be where he is. Um, he wants us to be where he is. Uh, he also wants us to know what he knows. Uh, he wants us to have what he had so that we can do what he did. Uh, those are the things. That, that's really uh, the gospel in a nutshell. Is Jesus wants us to be where he is, to know what he knows, to have what he had so we can do what he did. Uh, two of my favorite quotes, uh, one is A.W. Tozer and one is Leonard Ravenhill. A.W. Tozer uh, said, people are fascinated with talk of the deeper life because the average Christian life is tragically shallow. People are fascinated with talk of the deeper life because the average Christian life is tragically shallow. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill said something similar. He said it this way, we've lived subnormal for so long that normal seems abnormal. We've lived subnormal for so long that normal seems abnormal. So here's the thing. They're both saying the same thing. The will of God for us is not that we would live some superficial, shallow faith. The will of God for us is that the normal Christian life would be a deep, intimate experience of God uh, that would produce a life of faith and a life of fruit. Now, we can't live now in the heaven reality that Jesus is preparing for us. The context is wrong. That's why Jesus said, in this life, you'll have trouble. Now, we talked a few weeks back about thin places, and there are places where we can experience the presence of God in in just a life-transforming way. And and there are, we can live for seasons even in this, this sense of God's presence that is near, but guess what? Even in that, you'll still have trouble. Jesus said it. In this life, you'll have trouble. Guess what you won't have in the next life? Trouble. That's why you should never, if if you have a loved one who passes away, a loved one who is in love with Jesus and passes away, let them go. Let them go. Because, honey, they just got what we're all dying for. See, that makes sense. What we're all longing for (laughs) is to be with him. And so, uh, he wants us to be with him. Uh, He wants us to experience uh, intimacy with him in this life. But again, it's it's not complete. Uh, He promised us that trouble will come, and then when trouble comes, we're surprised. So Jesus wants us to be where he is, but he also wants us to have uh, what he had. He wants us to be filled with his spirit. Uh, He wants us to be filled with his spirit uh, so that we can have what he had. Jesus, uh, when he ministered on the earth, uh, 
Luke describes it this way. Luke says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and then came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit, and that's when he launched his public ministry. And everywhere he went, he operated in the fullness of the Spirit. So Jesus wants us to have what he has, and what he has is fruit of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit, and he wants to put those things in us. We don't produce those things in ourselves. He puts those things in us. Uh, at his baptism, and we're going we're gonna to baptize some people today, and, and one of the, my favorite passages in Scripture is at Jesus' baptism, uh, when he comes up out of the water, uh, it says that the heavens opened and the voice of the Father rang out like thunder, and he said, this is my son, I love him, he pleases me. So Jesus wants us to be where he is. He wants us to have what he has, but he also wants us to know what he knows. And do you know what he knows? He knows how the Father feels about him. Jesus knows that he is loved by the Father because the Father screamed it out for everyone to hear at his baptism. This is my son. I love him. He pleases me. And it is the desire of your father for everyone in this room to have the same knowledge of his thoughts for you that Jesus had. Jesus knew that he was fully loved by his father. And he wants you to know what he knew. That you are fully loved by your father. That's why Jesus says, I want you, I want to be in you so that you can have my joy and so that your joy will be made complete. What will make your joy complete? Knowledge of the Father's heart. Knowledge of the Father's heart. <clears throat> Jesus depended on the power of the Holy Spirit while he was on earth. Uh, the keys of his life were listening to the Father and walking in the power of the Spirit. And when he told the disciples, it's better for you if I go away, it wasn't because being with him would get them in trouble. It was because he knew that when he went back to the Father, the Father would send the Spirit to live in them. Uh, Jesus says to the disciples when he's about to leave, he says, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Because Jesus doesn't just want us to be where he is, and he doesn't just want us to know what he knows, but he wants us to have what he has. Paul describes it this way. Paul says, your hope for living this life. He says, your hope for glory. Your hope for living the life that God has called you to live is not your determination. Your hope is not your strong-willed personality. Your hope is not your organizational skills. Your hope is Christ in you. Not just Christ with you, but Christ in you. Paul says, that's your hope. So when Jesus is about to leave, he says, it's going to be better for you when I'm gone. Now go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Now think about it. They've been with Jesus for three and a half years. <clears throat> It's what all of us, you know, we, we, we long for it. We, we would sign up for that. 
If Jesus says, okay, I'm going to put together a new group of 12, we would sign up. We would so quickly be on the Riverstone website looking for the link to sign up to be one of the new 12 because we, you know, we get to have three years with Jesus. We get to go where he goes and see what he does and witness the miracles. And then we need to be, we get to be a part of that little group that he pulls aside after he's told the parables and, and people are confused and didn't quite understand. And we get to be a part of the group that he pulls aside and explains it to. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that 12? We would want to be a part of that. After three years of that inside scoop relationship, Jesus says, now, I'm leaving. Here's your mission, but you're not ready. I mean, if you can't get ready in three years of being with Jesus every day, how can you get ready? You've been to Jesus, Jesus Christ Theological Seminary for three years, and you're not ready. Because watching and learning and memorizing and observing and even participating doesn't get you ready. What gets you ready? Christ in you gets you ready. The Spirit of God in you. They weren't ready for a world-changing ministry. They wouldn't be ready until the Spirit of God fell upon them, took residence within them, and changed them. If you read the book of Acts, you'll find that the disciples became a world-changing ministry. They turned the world upside down when the Spirit of God came in them. So, so what happened? They were baptized in the Spirit of God. They were baptized in God's Spirit. So what, what exactly is that and what does it mean? I probably won't answer every question that you have about it today, but let me answer a couple of questions. And I'm going to do that by just looking at the Greek language that Paul uses when he talks about in Ephesians being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, number one, uh, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is in the imperative mood. Do you know what the imperative mood means? It means it's a command. So when Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be baptized in the Holy Spirit, he's not saying you might think about possibly considering being baptized in the Holy Spirit. This might be something that would help you out. He's not suggesting it. He's actually speaking it as a command. So what Paul is saying is that every believer must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's a command. It's in the imperative mood. It's not a suggestion. Second thing we know about this is that it's in the plural form. What does that mean? Well, it means it's for all Christians. It's not just for pastors and missionaries and people who go to charismatic churches. It's for every believer. Being filled with the Holy Spirit 
is for every believer. Being baptized in the Spirit is for every believer. It's in the plural form. Third, it's in the present tense. What in the heck does that mean? It's in the present tense. It means it's a continual action. So you're not filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit just once, but over and over and over and over and over again every day for the rest of your life. Every day. It's a continual pouring of the presence of God into your life every day for the rest of your life. Now here, this is important. The fourth thing that we know about this grammatically is that it's in the passive voice. And and the reason this is important is because this means that it is something that is done to you. It's not something that you do. It's something that is done to you. It's not something that you do. So if you're trying to figure out what you need to do, how you, know, how you can behave in such a way, or, or what performance boxes you can check out so that God would be then obligated to fill you, it's not like that. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask. It's something that is done to you, not by you. Now, I know that some people get a little nervous about the Holy Spirit, and they think that if, you know, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will do weird things. And let me just say that you might. <laughs> but not always. Not everyone does, and I'm not sure really why some do and some don't, but, but I, I trust God to be in charge of that. So, so let me just say, you don't have to help him. I remember one time I, I was in Anniston, Alabama, <clears throat> and I was young, guys. I, I, was, I was like 22, maybe, 23 at the most, and... Uh, I was leading a retreat for teenagers, and uh, my brother, John, who's five years younger than me, so he's, he's still in high school, maybe a senior in high school, and he comes to help me. And, uh, and I tell him on Saturday, we've done Friday night. You, you know how a retreat works, right? You know, you preach salvation on Friday night, and everybody gets saved, and then on Saturday, you've got to do something different. And so on Saturday, I told him, I'm going to preach on uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, do you even know what that is? And I said, I read a book about it. <laughs> and so I, I had, I read a book, I had a good outline, I got up and I, and I preached this sermon on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I, I set a chair in the front of the room and a room full of teenagers, I said, if anybody wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit, come sit in this chair, and my brother and I will pray for you. And this girl stands up and walks to the front, and she sits down in the chair, and we prayed for her. And as we were praying for her, all of a sudden, and this, this was like 1983, all of a sudden, she starts laughing uncontrollably. And, I mean, just loud laughing. 
It's not like a little smirk or chuckle. She's like loud laughing, and, and we're praying, and, and I look at my brother, and he looks at me, and, and, and I kind of motion for, to him, you know, let's, let's go outside. So we, we just leave her <laughs> laughing, and everybody watching, and we slip out the door, and we're, we're actually standing outside. And my brother says, what do we do now? And I said, I don't know. And he said, you started it. And I said, I don't even know what's happening. I said, here's the plan. I said, well, this is what we'll do. I said, we'll go back in and I'll get her to say Jesus is Lord. And if, she'll, if she can say Jesus is Lord, we'll know that she's not possessed. <laughs> and so we go back in and, and I say, hey, I said, Susan, look at me. And she looks at me and I said, uh, can you say Jesus is Lord? And she yells at the top of her lungs, Jesus is Lord. And then she falls asleep. So we pick her up and we take her over to the side and we lean her up against the wall and we come back and we say to the group, does anybody else want to come sit in the chair? And, and kids started coming. Kids started coming, and, we, and every person that we prayed for that night had this incredible encounter with the Lord. And, and I've kept in touch with most of them through the years. And, and the testimony of their life bears fruit uh, of that in, encounter. So you know, it was crazy. But you know what else? Uh, I, I've also experienced times where I saw a whole room full of people stand in front of a, uh, an altar uh, and a pastor just pray over all of them. In the name of Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit. And nobody fell down and nobody cried and nobody laughed and nobody screamed. But I know the people and their lives were marked by God. And, and they lived uh, fruitful lives. So... All that is to say, uh, God wants you to ask, and then he wants you to trust him to do it the way he wants to do it. And it might be that there are physical manifestations. It may just be, like John Wesley said, I felt my heart strangely warm. And he was changed forever. Sometimes funny stuff happens, not always. The truth is God has a job for you to do. And like the disciples before you, you can't do it unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus did some pretty amazing things when he was on the earth. He turned water into wine. He walked on water. He healed blind people. He made storms be still. He fed 15,000 people with a few sardines and a couple of biscuits. Uh, he healed a man with leprosy. He raised uh, a girl from the dead. In fact, he, he raised three people from the dead. One had just died and was still in the house. One had been dead for a day and was being taken to burial. And one had been actually in the grave for three or four days. Raised them all. And, and the truth is, 
you may not ever raise someone from the dead. You, you might, but you might not. And, and you may never even meet someone with leprosy. And, and you, probably, you probably won't walk on water. I had a friend in seminary who wanted to walk on water. And he would go to the pool at the seminary late at night when nobody else was there and try to walk across the pool. And, and he told me that because he wanted it to be an act of faith, he would always put on a suit with, good, with nice dress shoes. And I said, well, you know, does the fact that you're going late at night when nobody is there, does that enter into this faith thing at all? And um, so, you know, you, you may not walk on water. But during his three and a half years on the earth, Jesus spent most of his time preaching to the lost, teaching those who believed, healing those who were sick and oppressed, loving those who were left out and lonely and rejected, and forgiving. And, and those are the things that I think Jesus wants us to spend our time doing. Uh, preaching the good news to all that are lost. Uh, who, those who have never heard or those who have heard but have yet to believe or those who have heard and believed and then drifted away. At school, in your neighborhood, in the 1040 window, at the grocery store, uh, everywhere we go, we meet people who were created by God for God. And, and sin came into the world and separated us from him. And he wants us back. He wants us so back that he was willing to pay the price so that we could come home. And, and what he wants from you and from me is that everywhere we go, we would be a message of that redemption. He wants us to preach the good news to those that are lost. He wants us to teach those who believe, to make disciples. We still need more. God has more for us. And, and just being born again is not the end of the story. It's actually the beginning of the story. Uh, he wants to teach us and, and he wants to impart to us. You know, I, I love the stories in scripture of, of people who invested in the coming generation. You know, the way that Elijah invested in Elisha. And, and I love the way that Paul invested in Timothy. Here's what I love about Paul's relationship to Timothy. Uh, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says to him, you know, remember the things I've told you. Remember the things we've talked about. Remember this, this, and this. But then the big thing he says is, remember what you received when we laid hands on you and prayed. Fan the flame of God in you. So Paul is not asking Timothy to depend on what he has said. He's asking Timothy and reminding Timothy to depend on what God has done within him. Teach those who believe. Heal the sick and the oppressed. We know the world is full of hurting people, sick people, 
<clears throat> we have people in Riverstone right now who are going through some pretty difficult things uh, and, and they need our prayers. Uh, some of you know the, the Schwartz uh, family and, and Michael. Uh, we need to pray for their family. Uh, Michael's had uh, been on a liver transplant list, I guess, his whole life. And, uh, and he's had some uh, setbacks recently and been in the hospital. And, and uh, he's stable today. But we, we need to pray for healing for him and, and for his family. <clears throat> some of you know the, the Powells, Mac and Amy. And, and Amy's in the hospital and uh, had an aneurysm over the weekend. And, and uh, we need to pray for them, pray for their family. There are others uh, in our body that we need to pray for. But uh, the truth is we live in a fallen world where sickness happens, uh, but also in a world where Jesus heals. And we need to pray for the sick. We need to reach out to those who are in uh, rough spots. Uh, sometimes it's not physical. Sometimes it's emotional. Uh, sometimes it's relational. Sometimes it's spiritual. I, uh, I could go through a list, uh, just a whole litany of testimonies of people who have come here uh, from dysfunctional pasts, uh, from legalistic pasts, all sorts of situations and received healing from God uh, through being a part of this body. So Jesus wants us to preach good news to the lost. He wants us to teach those who believe. He wants us to heal the sick and the oppressed. He wants us to love those that are left out. And he wants us to be an expression of forgiveness and redemption everywhere we go. So, again, it really doesn't matter whether you ever even meet a leper, or whether you ever turn water into wine, or walk on water, or walk on wine. It, it doesn't matter <laughs> so much. What matters is that you choose to be surrendered to him, to go where he says go, do what he says to do, be whoever he calls you to be, and that you know that the way for all of those things to happen is not by you mustering up the strength to do something, but by you realizing you can't do it and asking him and allowing him to do it through you. His, his invitation has never been, come and live your life for me. His invitation is, let me live my life in you. Now let's pray. Lord, I pray if there's any person here in this room today who has never said yes to you, but has a desire to say yes today or, or not, they're not sure, but they think they have the desire to say yes to you. I pray right now you give them the courage to pray this prayer. Jesus, I need you. I, I know that I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. And I want to, to live my life 
I want you to live your life in me. I want to surrender my life to you. Jesus, would you come and live in me forever? In Jesus' name.